Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station, a place to sit back and relax while waiting for your train to board. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. The goal here at the depot is to help you strengthen your own practice of leadership, no matter where you serve. Every episode will give you not only the background theory, but some practical tools that you can use right away. Great Ridge Station is a service of Great Ridge Group, LLC. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 1, Episode 6. Peter Vale made the observation that one of the hardest things for a person to do is what he calls intentional unlearning. Well, sometimes that unlearning needs a little help, and I'm just the guy to do it. I've often joked that one of my main roles is to whoop some of those bad leadership ideas out of people. And one of those bad ideas is that there's a certain glamour about leadership. So, let the whooping begin. I can't tell you how often I hear people say, I've always wanted to be a leader. That would be so cool. They usually say that when they find out that I'm a leadership geek. And there's a sense that being a leader brings with it things like respect and credibility, influence and glamour. And I've found that often when people say that they want to be a leader, what they really mean is, I want all of the benefits that I think come from being a leader. So let me give you a few of those benefits, and we'll take some time to unpack these ideas a bit more. So what do people think comes along with leadership? Control over people's actions. Control over resources. Control over policies and practices. Control of information influence over organizations and industries, and influence toward my version of the good life. Let's unpack those. First, control over people's actions. This one comes up quite often. For some people, leadership is about getting other people to do what you want them to do. That influential kid who gets everyone to follow along either falls under the category of a bossy person or a natural leader. It's as though the pinnacle of human interaction involves being able to get people to play along with your plans and move them in the right direction, that being usually what you wanted. And for a surprising number of people, getting people to do my bidding is one of the most basic models of what it means to be a leader. And people want that. How cool it is to be able to tell people what to do and have them do it. It's so cool. But of course... There is a downside to that. If you take responsibilities for actions, you also have to take responsibility for the consequences of those actions. And you probably don't want to do that. It smacks of paternalism. That's taking away people's freedom and autonomy, supposedly for their own good. See, that's not what leadership ought to be. I'll talk about that idea of freedom and personal agency in a later episode. Sounds pretty thrilling, doesn't it? Well, let's move on. Another appealing benefit to leadership is uh, control over resources, deciding what's important, and exerting control. See, this turns into a process of deciding where limited resources get spent. At work, that might mean the difference between new laptop computers for the customer service reps versus uh, maybe a remodel of the break room. At home, it might be a trip to uh, Walt's Happy Place Amusement Park for the whole family, or putting up a new garage and a workshop. Resources are a big deal. 
In most cases, they're limited. So choosing one option means not choosing another. Remodeling the break room means, sorry, but we don't have the budget to upgrade your computer right now. See, what does this mean? There's something in being able to make those decisions in the way that they should be made, at least from our perspective. If you've had any leadership aspirations, uh, you have to have said to yourself once or twice anyway, if I were king of the forest, here's how I would do it. Even if we never thought of it in those terms, part of the appeal of being a leader is to control where the money goes. Another one is control over policies and practices. Have you ever been working on resolving a difficult issue and then you run into a brick wall made of regulations? Most of us have said something like, well, that is a stupid policy. Part of the allure of leadership is in being able to craft policies that work. Okay, the unspoken piece, though, is that people want policies that don't work against them. The bottom line, we want to clear the way ahead for our own actions and whatever is beneficial for our own concerns or our own team of people. How about control of information? That's a big deal. It's not the same thing as expertise. We'll talk about experts in an upcoming uh, episode. But before people step into leadership roles, I hear things like, why can't they just tell us the truth and be honest? Well, let me tell you. Sometimes there are legal reasons, sometimes there are personal reasons, sometimes there are strategic reasons, and sometimes it just comes down to questions of timing. See, this complaint about uh, wanting control over information evaporates really quickly, generally as soon as people step into a significant leadership role, only to find out that there are a lot of other factors to consider. Things depend on one another, and one person's open communication is another person's huge blunder. We need to know how to weigh our words and handle information ethically. You know, it's also the question of influence over organizations and industries. Leadership is a means for people to make a difference. There's no doubt about that. When you combine technical skills in a given field with really good leadership practice, it is possible for us to have an impact. But what people forget is that organizations and industries tend to turn very slowly. We have a natural tendency toward delusional pride, and we think we know the right way. We think we can do it better than the current leadership. Case in point, every so often I have this thought when I read about an organization that's in trouble. I would love to be the CEO there. Why don't they call me? I could turn that situation around. Okay, so far, no one has called, and the reality is that turnarounds are notoriously difficult. See, I've also found that the greatest impact we can have on an organization and an industry can be at the grassroots level. Lead well where you are, and people will notice. Now, several years ago, I was with a company working in a director role at the corporate headquarters, and at some point, I realized that all kinds of people were coming to me with problems and situations. These were not the problem finders that I mentioned in an earlier episode. These were the quick fix, satisfy the customer, get the job done right the first time sorts of problems that they were running into. And here was the thing. The people who were coming to me all had managers. So one week I decided to ask everyone who came to my office why they were coming to me. And I got the same answer several times. They said, 
You are the only person in this entire company who's willing to make a decision and then stand by it. Okay, I think that's scary. And it kind of made me nervous that all these people were coming to me and bypassing their bosses. But it gave me an opportunity to work on changing the culture of the organization. I started going to visit various managers to support them and help them clear the clutter for their own employees. The truth, truth is, I was way outside of my pay scale, but that wasn't the point. The point was to keep good employees from floundering, and we changed the organization for the better. Another, another factor in leadership is influencing toward my version of the good life. You know, there was a time when people talked about the American dream like it was a thing. There was a sense that we had a shared consensus around what that meant and that we were all working for the same goals. It was usually expressed by a phrase like a house, 2.4 kids, and a dog. And while there were some shared cultural goals, there was no such thing as the American dream. There were a lot of dreams, and like Americans, they didn't all match, even when people thought that they did. Everyone has a vision of the good life, and that doesn't match everyone else's vision. And that really is part of God's design for us. Some people thrive when they're connected to nature, and that nature-centered view of the good life is not going to connect with someone whose view involves being an activist and taking on difficult social justice issues. We can often take a misguided approach to leadership by moving people toward our own vision of the good life, with no respect for their own. Now I'm going to step on some academic toes with this comment. I've always been, you know, vaguely uncomfortable with the work of Paulo Freire. He was a Brazilian teacher and philosopher who did a lot of work with the poor. And one of his best known books is The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, in which he describes his effort to teach impoverished tribal groups in Brazil so that they were able to participate economically in the broader culture. The grand assumption, which I've never heard anyone address, is that economic participation always yields a better life. Now, that's one view of the good life, but there may be aspects of tribal life that are far richer than we could ever understand. And those, and those very elements might be destroyed by economic participation. Maybe we're introducing a dissatisfaction that might have been completely alien to the group in question. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Freire did some great, amazing, groundbreaking work. I'm just suggesting that his vision of the good life may not meet the criteria of everyone, including those that he helped. That has always troubled me, and it brings up the question of how do we help people without ruining them? There are no easy answers to that question. But not only that, there's no going back. Richard Thompson wrote a moving song with the haunting refrain, Oh, when will I ever be simple again? In all these approaches to leadership, there's a strong element of what's in it for me. It lurks in the background and might be looking for the benefit directly for me, for those in my inner circle, or those who share my values and opinions, or maybe for those who want the same things and call it the good life. I don't tell you this to discourage you. I tell you this because it's the truth. And if you feel called to leadership, you need to know what you're stepping into. The Apostle Paul addressed this very issue when he wrote to his young protege, Timothy. Paul didn't discourage people from stepping up and being leaders. In fact, Paul wrote, If anyone wants to be a bishop, they seek a noble task. 
Now that word bishop could also be translated overseer or elder, and it refers to a key leadership role in the early church. Paul then talks about this leadership role in terms of character traits and ethical commitments, way more so than what the leader will be doing. I think the reason for that is simple. If you're in a leadership role, your character will be tested. Here's what you need to know. Leadership is gut-wrenching. There's little glamour, and there's certainly not enough glamour to make up for the fuss. You know, the things that you'd rather not know. Scandals, character issues, proprietary information, budgets and budget cuts, layoffs, and it hurts. There's no dodging the pain when a direct report comes to you and says something like, my cancer is back. That kind of thing sets me to prayer and tears and a lot of times arguing and complaining to God. So what if you know a layoff is coming for an employee that can't seem to catch a break? That is no fun at all. How about when you make a decision based on solid information, and for a whole variety of reasons you can't share the details behind that decision? And no, you can't defend yourself. That can be agonizing. Let me tell you right now, there's no winning the popularity contest for leaders. Whatever we do is going to be wrong to someone. This is really difficult because we all like to be liked. In some ways, that's what draws people into leadership, the ability to have an impact, a positive impact on the people around them. We love the stories of leaders who've made a difference. The people that we hold in awe, you know who they are. You have your own list. But those stories, the stories of great leaders, frequently get told, without all the messy bits. I don't want to discourage anyone from from leadership, but if you're going to lead, I want people to walk into it with eyes wide open. Recognize that it's going to hurt, but at the same time, expect that it will be one of the most gratifying aspects of your entire life. Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. As the train boards and rolls on to its next destination, we hope you found your time here helpful. Consider what you've learned and what strategies and practices you can implement right now. If you have leadership questions that you'd like us to address, we'd love to hear from you, and you can find the questions link on our show page. We can't answer everything, but we'll watch for themes and big-picture questions and get to as many as we can. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. Limited opportunities are available for supporting sponsorships. Contact information is available on our show page. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. Bye-bye.